energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes, and then we kick it over to Jazz with George Thomas. we got a ton to get to today. We've had a ton to get to every day. I feel like I'm saying that every day. Uh, we got the UVM Hoops segment that I promised we'd get to. We will do that at the end of the show. We'll talk about UVM as they ready for St. Mary's tonight. Buster Olney's going to be with us at about 6.10 today, and we've got your NFL team in three words or less. I've decided your NFL team in three words or less is a Thursday thing. That that fe- Thursday feels right to me. So your NFL team in three words or less, that is going to be a Thursday thing from here on out through the rest of the season. You can get in on get on in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802 585 3026, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also watch us every day, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. I am in a bad mood today. I just have to, I just have to be straight with you. And you may even sense a tinge of it in my voice as we go through. I'm in a bad mood today. And the reason why is because I cannot play today in the men's basketball league playoff game. And a lot of you probably don't care, but I do. So I'm just going to vent for two minutes and tell you what happened. So last Tuesday night, in the quarterfinal game, I really, really badly sprained my ankle, right? I'm talking, it was really swollen. It looked like a tennis ball on the left side. It was completely purple and bruised on in multiple locations. A couple of you listeners stepped up and helped me out and actually brought me some stuff. And So it, it has healed rapidly in comparison to what it would have done without your help. Trust me on that. So my player coach, here's the way this works that if a player is going to miss you are allowed to bring a sub like you're not you know that way the team's not forced to play with you know only five guys or something so you are allowed to bring a sub but you have to line the sub up and the sub has to commit and the sub's probably going to get rid you know have to make their own plans etc so being a sub is you know it's a, it's a big commitment so once kind of you go down that route of getting a sub you don't really like to go back and i understand that so all week, right, you all were helping me get better. My ankle was healing. I was icing. I was resting. I was elevating. I had it in this giant boot. I, I was using a, my per, own personal stim machine on it. I'm wearing a compression sock, all for the ability of trying to be able to walk and then hopefully be able to play. So I had to make a decision yesterday on whether I was going to play today. So I go out yesterday morning, and I, I get on the treadmill and I test it out briefly, and I'm like, you know what? It doesn't feel 100%. 
and, and like it, it feels about 80%. Like I can walk okay, but running and landing on that forceful impact and jumping, I'm like, that doesn't feel quite right. So I told my coach, I'm like, look, I could probably do it if you need me to, but I'd be less than 100%. So if you have a sub lined up, then okay, I'm out. He tells me, all right, we got the sub lined up. You're good. Get healthy. I wake up today, and I'm nearly perfect. I'm nearly perfect today. There's still a little bit, a little bit of a tinge of a pain. Tinge is like my new word today. There's a little bit of a, of a kind of a, just a, a little, a little bit. I can feel it a little bit. But by and large, I'm like 98% today. I ran up and down the stairs here at WDEV. I took off for a wind sprint in the hallway. I, I did some mock jumpers. Like, I'm feeling good. I could play today and play well. Now, I'm a little out of shape because I haven't done anything in nine days. I'm a little rusty because I haven't shot since last Tuesday. So I'm not saying I would play well, but physically I'm doing well. And I can't play because I, I yesterday said I would be out and the subs all in. I'm very disappointed today. I care way too much about men's league sports. Right, like I get a great amount of pleasure in playing men's league baseball and playing men's league basketball and coming in and telling you that I scored 37 or that I scored 7. I, I enjoy it. It's something I look forward to every week. And here we are in the playoffs, and I'm good enough to play, and I can't because of a procedural rule. And I'm very frustrated by it, and I'm very, very disappointed by it. So my ankle is feeling much, much better, like much, much better told you, I'm jumping up and down today here at WDEV. I'm running up and down the stairs. I'm not limping at all. All I, all it is is I could feel it a little bit when I land, so I think running consistently will be tough, And I under, so I understand playing a full basketball game will be tough. Maybe I could have gotten a half in comfortably. I just, I just want to play, and I can't because I had to rule myself out by yesterday. And I'm very, very frustrated and very disappointed by it. And I've been thinking about it all day. I'm like, can I get the sub out of here? Can I kick him out despite the fact that he's already already committed? And I'm like, no, I can't. That's not right. So here I am. I'm going to show up at the game, not play, shoot on the side, and be disappointed in Mopey. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. Something I am more excited about, and something that does put me in a good mood, is UVM men's basketball tonight. The Catamounts are out west for their three-game road trip, right? They're taking on St. Mary's tonight. They're taking on Cal State Fullerton on Sunday, and they're taking on USC next Tuesday. I'm going to stay up late tonight and watch this game. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. Make no mistake, St. Mary's is good. They've been to the NCAA tournament for the last seven years. They were picked preseason number two in the West Coast Conference. If not for Gonzaga and their continued run of dominance, we'd be talking about St. Mary's in that league a lot more than we do. They are a very good program. This is the first ever meeting between the two programs, so I'm excited to see how it how it shakes out. I'm excited to see how UVM does. St. Mary's is the favorite. They're the betting favorite, seven and a half points. That's not absurdly high, but they are the favorite. They are at home, so we should all recognize that. But I'll say this. I think UVM can play with this team, especially early in the season as everybody's kind of figuring things out. Right? You're prone to see some upsets at the beginning of the season when everybody's kind of figuring out their roles and how they do and 
young guys are getting acclimated, new transfers are getting acclimated. This is where you see upsets. I think UVM can play with this team tonight. It's going to be hard, but I think they can play with them. And I got a couple reasons why. Actually, there's one really big reason why I think UVM can play with them. St. Mary's was led in its first game. The game they won by eight against Oral Roberts. They were led by a freshman named Aiden Mahaney, who had 25 points. And there's two things I'm going to pin my hopes on for UVM to win this game tonight. My first hope is that since Aiden Mahaney is a freshman, my first hope is that UVM can find a way to confuse him or rattle him in some way. Clearly he is good. There's no doubt about that. You score 25 points in your first collegiate game, you've got something going on. But my hope is that UVM, with its veteran group and its length at the guard spot, can throw out multiple looks and multiple defenders at him that can make life tougher for him. If they're going to rely on a freshman, i got to hope that my upperclassmen, my veteran leadership, and all the length I have at the guard spot, i got to hope that that can really turn things in my favor. I mean, look, Finn Sullivan. Like, Aiden Mahaney's six foot three. Finn Sullivan is taller than that. Robin Duncan is big. Dylan Penn is big. They are very capable. They have the manpower to guard a 6'3 Aiden Mahaney. And all the guys I just mentioned, Finn Sullivan, Robin Duncan, Dylan Penn, they're all fifth-year players. They're fifth-year players. He's a freshman. My goal is that they can make life difficult for him, play upon some of his inexperience, get him out of his comfort zone. And if you do that, if they can neutralize him, and force other guys to step up who didn't do it in game one, then that is a huge win for UVM. So when I tell you UVM can play with this team, I believe that they can do something to make life difficult for Aiden Mahaney. And if life gets difficult for him, then the pressure might ratchet up on everybody else. The other thing I can hope is just that, look, 25 points is a lot of points, right? Aaron Aaron Deloney scored... 32. I don't anticipate 32 coming from Deloney again tonight. Aiden Mahaney scored 25. I like to think that there could be some regression there back towards, you know, 14 or 15, maybe even 10. And now you're forcing other guys to step up and hit shots that didn't have to do it on night one, and maybe you take advantage of that. Like, maybe the kid is that good, and he'll get 25 again tonight, but I just I feel good about UVM's chances to throw different things at him and make life hard and force other guys to step up that haven't had to do it so far in the very young season of just one game. I think UVM can play with this team. I'm not pre- I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm not guaranteeing that they're going to win. I I'm not predicting any of that. I'm just telling you I think they can play with this team. I believe that they can play with this team. And this would be this would be a massive, massive win for the UVM program. Again, not guaranteeing, not predicting, but it would be a humongous win. Because St. Mary's is going to be a tournament team at the end of the year. They're always a tournament team come the end of the year. To get a win early in the year against a team like this would be a huge coup for the Catamounts. We always talk, right? Come March, if UVM is going to the tournament, we always talk about how we wish they could avoid the 15 line, how we wish they could avoid the 14 line. What would it ever take to get them to a 12 where they could pull the upset? Like, this is how you do that. Your seed in March is partially determined by what you do in November against the big dogs on your schedule. 
what you do in the league, what UVM does in the league, is going to have no bearing on their seed come March if they're able to win the conference tournament. Zero. They can go 16 and 0 and go 3 and 0 in the league in the league tournament, be 19 and 0 in the America East. That will have no bearing on what happens for them come March. What will have a bearing, what will set them over the edge, is that league record and that league resume, plus what happens in these matchups. USC, St. Mary's, Cal State Fullerton, Iona, the Bahamas tournament, Miami at the end of the year. Those are the things. Those are the matchups that UVM has a chance to capitalize on in order to improve their seed. They're going to have a chance. They're going to have a chance tonight. They're going to be in this game, I believe. I firmly believe they're in this game. Seven and a half feels like an appropriate spread for this game. I want to see UVM play well, but if they can win it, this is the kind of matchup that elevates you come March in the eyes of the committee. It's not. It's not for you for teams like Duke. It's too early to worry about March, right? For teams like UNC and for teams like Arizona and for teams like Ohio State, it's way too early to be thinking about March. For UVM, it is not. You have to be thinking about March tonight. Yes, winning the league is ultimately all that matters. But if you want them to win a game in March, then games like tonight matter a lot. And I think they have a chance. I think they have a chance to get it. There's a lot of things they'll need to do. We'll talk about that in the back half of the show, but there are there is a chance today if they can do a couple of things. One is, though, I think they can make life tough for Aiden Mahaney. Brady Farkas show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Texter says, sounds like the problem is, Brady, you suck at basketball and your coach would rather have the sub. That's not true because the sub is... Uh, has to be agreed upon by the other team, and they're only allowed to have somebody that is viewed as equal or lesser than you. So, ha, ha, and ha to that, Virginia from Starksboro. All right, we do this every Thursday now. We run through every NFL team, right? Your NFL team in three words or less. It's one of our favorite segments now. We're doing it every single week. We start today in the NFC, and we're going to start in the woeful NFC South. All right, NFC South, three words or less. Tampa Bay's in first place at four and five. Three words or less, they can't run. Like, this is amazing. The amount of pressure that the Buccaneers are putting on 45-year-old Tom Brady is just absurd. Like, it's great that they've got Scotty Miller and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and they have weapons and they have a good defense. But you've got to be able to have some semblance of balance in your offense, especially when your quarterback is now trending towards 50 years old, and they don't have it. The Buccaneers are 4-5. and five. They've had awful, they awful performances. Even in their win last week against the Rams, they played terribly on offense. Defensive, or uh, against the, they lost against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're going to go to Germany this weekend against Seattle, and I see people predicting Seattle to win this game. Before the season, if you told me Seattle was going to beat or be a projected favorite over Tampa, I'd laugh at you. There is zero balance to this Buccaneers team. Look at what they do offensively in the run game. They are last in the NFL in rushing attempts. They are last in the NFL in rushing yards. They are last in the NFL in yards per carry. They are last in yards per game. 
They are last. That Their longest run is the shortest longest run of any team in the NFL. They are tied for last in rushing touchdowns. Like, you need to have some balance. Tom Brady's great. He's not the problem in Tampa. The defense is pretty good. What's not good is the balance. And they got to find it. They've had injuries on the offensive line. I get that, but they've got to find some balance. Atlanta Falcons, 4-5 and five as well. Bad call pain. I am never, ever a guy who will blame the referees for something. I do not believe in that. However, the Falcons will be in first place, potentially, if not for that awful call earlier in the year. I didn't think it would matter come this point of the season because we all thought the Falcons were going to be so bad. Right now, a bad call, that horrible roughing the passing call, a roughing the passer call from from Grady Jarrett on Tom Brady that helped allow the Buccaneers to win that game 21-15 to earlier in the season. That bad call is part of the difference between first place and second place. And that's hard to believe. And that's hard to stomach. Now, the Falcons were down 21-0 in that game. They had their own hand in getting down 21-0. So a call does not decide your season. But right now, if that call that call is looming large. Saints, 3-6 and six in the NFC South. Three words or less. Too many turnovers. That's it. Too many turnovers. The Saints have the worst turnover differential in the NFL. They're at minus 10. Jameis Winston's at quarterback. You turn it over. Andy Dalton's at quarterback. You turn it over. The Saints are very, very injured. The Saints can't take care of the football. And that is why they have gone from Super Bowl favorite to a team that is, you know, or, or a Super Bowl favorite to a team that right now is looking at picking in the top seven of the draft. I mean, they're three and six. The NFC is so bad that three and six does not have you out of it. But you look at it now. They're going to take on the Steelers this week in Pittsburgh. They got to win that game. Pittsburgh's awful. Pittsburgh is awful. You got to win this game. And if you can get to four and six again, you start to give yourself a chance. But too many turnovers, right? They've missed. Uh, Marcus Lattimore's been out. And Mike Thomas is out for the season. And Chris Olave's been playing great. But there's just so many injuries there. When you have that many injuries, you have to be playing perfect. You can't afford to be turning it over. And they are turning it over at a rapid, rapid rate. Last place, NFC South, Carolina Panthers 2-7. and seven. Top pick, watch. That's it. Right? They play hard. They should have beaten Atlanta a couple weeks ago. They came back from down, you know, 42 to nothing last week against Cincy to make it look respectable. But top pick watch is all it is. Right? That is what their season comes down to. How high a draft pick will they get? NFC North, Minnesota Vikings, they're in first place, 7-1. Three words, Super Bowl aspirations. I don't know how good the Vikings really are. Right? The Vikings are not statistically that great. They're 12th in points allowed per game defensively. They're 8th worst in yards allowed per game at 368. Their offense only has the 15th most yards per game and the 8th most points per game. They're barely a top 10 team statistically. So I don't know how good they are. But Super Bowl aspirations is the three words. Why? They got the division wrapped up. Right? They're 7-1. and one. They're going to take on the Buffalo Bills this weekend, likely without Josh Allen, and can get to 8-1. and one. The Packers are awful. The Bears are awful. The Lions are awful. The, the Vikings have already won the division. 
So they've already got a top four seed. They've already got a home playoff game. There's a chance that they could end up with a number two seed or something and be at home for most of the playoffs. And when you have that, when you have that in front of you, you have Super Bowl aspirations. Right? They may not be that good, but right now the road for them is incredibly cushy. And when you have that cushy road, then we're talking about a team that should be looking to play right around Valentine's Day there in February. Second place, hard to believe, second place in the NFC North is 3-6. and six. Green Bay Packers, three words, stop talking Aaron. Aaron Rodgers, man, just needs to stop talking. Because nothing that Aaron Rodgers say is saying is really eliciting a lot of hope and a lot of confidence. He's called out the front office. He's called out his coaching staff. He's called out his teammates. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't care about the haters. He's pushing back at them. I mean, you're talking about a $50 million a year quarterback here that right now is has lost five games in a row. The Packers have not lost five games in a row since 2008. They haven't lost six in a row since 1988, and they're on the verge of doing that this weekend when they host Dallas. Aaron Rodgers just needs to shut up and play. Right? He needs to shut up and he needs to play. The trade deadline's over, so talking about the, the front office, none of that's going to matter. you got to get better with what you got, and you got to start to get your team going in a positive direction. Chicago Bears, 3-6. and six. It's amazing. The Bears at 3-6 and six feel on the uptick. The Packers at 3-6 and six feel like the end of something. Bears, three words or less, like I said. The, pa- the Patriots should have drafted Justin Fields. And you are starting to see why now. The Bears are averaging 31 points a game in the last three weeks. Do you see the Patriots doing that? The Bears scored 32 last week against the Miami Dolphins, who were a pretty darn good team. They killed the Patriots on their home field a couple of weeks ago on Monday Night Football. Justin Fields has an element of special to him that the Patriots are missing. Justin Fields had 178 yards rushing last week against the Dolphins. That's the most by a quarterback in NFL history in a regular season game, breaking Michael Vick's record. Now, this is what I said about Justin Fields at the time. He has that in him. That's not, you don't want that to be the only trick, right? If the Patriots had Justin Fields, I wouldn't want him in harm's way for 178 yards every single game. But, but, for a Patriots team that has a questionable offensive line right now and Mac Jones has no time to throw, what do you need? A mobile quarterback that can get out of the pocket, that can cover your offensive lines, but, and can extend plays, and for a wide receiver room that can't get open, well, Justin Fields can extend enough plays to get by time to allow guys to get open. That is why I've always championed for a mobile quarterback. I don't love Mac. I don't hate Mac. I think he is perfectly fine. But I'm not looking for fine. I'm looking for special. And Justin Fields has special. He can run it. He can throw it. And his ability to run it can open up things for everybody else on your offense. And the Patriots don't have that, right? The the offensive line is bad. Mac Jones can't move. He's got no time to throw. And because he can't move, then we've got a, a, a receiver room that doesn't have time to get open. And it's all a huge problem. And here you are now. This is what you're seeing. The Patriots should have drafted Justin Fields. Detroit Lions, 2-6, last place NFC North. Three words, job-saving season. The coaching staff of the Lions is trying to save their job. 
Every single week they're trying to save their job. They beat the Green Bay Packers last week. That's huge. It was good for them that they were able to do that. They won at home. They beat Aaron Rodgers. That makes everybody happy in that room. But at 2-6, and six, it's not enough. you got to start to get some more wins. And they're going to take on the Bears this weekend. And as much as I love Justin Fields, that is a winnable game. you got to get to 3-6. and six. You've got to win on Thanksgiving. You got to. I like Dan Campbell. I want him to do well. you got to find a way to win some games because it's not. If not, the whole staff is going to be out of a job here at some point. They may make it to the end of the season, but you got to get some wins and show some positive improvement. NFC East, three words or less, Philadelphia Eagles, the number three. Yes, the Eagles are 8-0, and but they have the third best offense, and they have the third best defense in the league, and that's very interesting, right? The number three offense, the number three defense, they're showing great balance on both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball. That number three ranked defense has the best turnover differential in the league. The, the Eagles are minus 15. So the offense doesn't give it away, and the defense takes it away. There you go. Uh, second place, Dallas Cowboys, 6-2. and two. Two, Three words, homecoming McCarthy. So, you know, it used to be that the Cowboys and Packers were a huge story because they were the Cowboys and Packers, and they were two playoff hopefuls. There's a little bit of that this year, certainly for Dallas, less so for for Green Bay. Yes, the Aaron Rodgers free fall right now is a story, but really the big story this week is Mike McCarthy going back to Green Bay, where he was fired, where he fell out of favor at the end, questions about his relationship with Rodgers. What is their embrace going to be like? Can McCarthy win in his old stomping grounds? That's the story of the week. New York Giants are in third place at 6-2. Three words, test of character. The Giants were beaten by Seattle the last time out, right? They, so they've suffered a loss. Then they had a bye. Now they're coming off the bye, and they're playing a bad Houston Texans team. This is a game you got to win. This is a test of character, right? You suffered a loss. Can you put the loss behind you? What did you do during the bye week? How much did you work? How much did you prepare? How, how serious did you take that loss? And now how do you use what you learned over the bye to go through and get a win that you got to have, right? The Texans give up 181 rushing yards per game. Saquon Barkley is one of the top rushers in the league. The Giants should win this game. Coming out of a bye, they should win it. Washington, Commanders, 4-5. and five. What happens now? It's not even about football. It's all about the organization. Right? you got the Attorney General who's investigating the franchise. we got a, a lawsuit coming against uh, a civil lawsuit against Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell. This is a clown show. It's not even about football. It's not even about football. I feel bad for the fans. I feel bad for the city. I feel bad for the metropolitan area in D.C. They're a joke. They are a joke. What happens now is the three words. It's not even about football. NFC West. Seahawks, three words or less. They're actually good. Look, I... I'm a Seahawks fan, you know that. For a while, I thought they were a nice story. They were a rebuilding team that was a nice story that was benefiting from a last-place schedule. They're 6-3 and three now. Their defense is one of the best in the league in the last month. They've got 19 sacks, I think, in the last month, which is tied with the Patriots for the most in the NFL, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head. Ken Walker's got 100 yards rushing in two of his last three games. Geno Smith is playing like an MVP candidate. They're actually good. They're not just a story. 
They're actually good. And they got a chance, very real one, to beat the Bucks this weekend in Germany. 49ers, 4-4. Four four. Everyone's expecting something. Right? Seahawks are good. 49ers still look like they're better. The Seahawks are, yes, a game and a half up or whatever, two and a half up in the division, but the Niners have beaten Seattle. They're getting healthier. Debo Samuel's back. Kyle Juszczyk is back. The Chargers, who they'll play this weekend, are still immensely beat up. They're coming off the bye in San Francisco, and Christian McCaffrey's getting more acclimated by the day. People are waiting on the Niners to make that move and end up 11-6 and or 12-5 and and make a run to the Super Bowl. Seattle is good. I don't know if they can hold off the Niners as they're expected to be. Rams, three and five, three words, fall from grace. What happened? This team won the Super Bowl, and they are the first defending Super Bowl champion to fall below 500 through eight games since 2013. Nearly a decade it's been since the Super Bowl champion was under 500 through eight games, and it might get worse. Right, It might get worse. Jalen Ramsey's calling out the offense. Matthew Stafford might miss this game in concussion protocol. Not good. Fall from grace. And finally, Arizona Cardinals. Last place. Three and six. Divisional woes concerning. The Cardinals dating back to last year. I'm not a big dating back to last year guy. But dating back to last year, the Cardinals are 0-6. And in their last six NFC West games, they're 0-3 this year. You cannot win in the NFL. If you cannot win in your division. And right now the Arizona Cardinals can't. Beaten by Seattle last week in a game in which they had a lead in the third quarter. We'll do the AFC coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Brady Farkas show will continue on after the CBS News update. We'll get to a little bit of Red Sox news. And we've got some Red Sox news. That's next on BEV. The Brady Farkas show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line open, 802-585-3026. Bob in Moncton. Hi, Brady. Love three words or less. Thank you very much, Bob. Much appreciated. I like it, too. I like it, too. I think it's a good way to... You know, talk about all teams, not just the Patriots. I think it's a good way to get ready for the NFL weekend. Three three words or less has gotten good feedback, right? There's always going to be things in radio that you try that summer hits and summer misses. And really, we were doing a lot of stuff when our show started that we're no longer doing now that we just decided we have better stuff now. Three words or less is something I wish we had done years ago because I, I think it's great. And you guys seem to think so as well. Joe in Richmond says, I'd bench Aaron Rodgers for Jordan Love to see what they got. No, I wouldn't do that. Jordan Love is already in year three of his five-year, like, he almost has no value anymore. Really, like, you put him out there and he plays poorly, then he's you've shot his trade value. He might, he might, if he has any value at all at this point, it might just be as an unknown commodity. I mean, he has two years left on his contract after this. That's not a lot. I don't know. I I don't think he has almost any value anymore. I'd just play Aaron Rodgers and see if he can turn it around in a bad NFC. Like, can you get to the playoffs at 8-9? and nine? Right? You're 3-6. and six. Can you go 5-5 five and five the rest of the way, go 8-9, and, and maybe get to the playoffs? I, I think that's the better play. 
Texter also says, Brady, deep down, you know your ankle is not ready. Take it easy on yourself. No, I don't know that. I think that my ankle is good. It's it, Look, my ankle is good enough to play. There is zero doubt about that. The question is, could I play as much? The games are 60 minutes long. Could I play all 60 minutes like I usually could? Maybe not. Maybe I could play 30. But I could definitely play. And I want to play. But unfortunately, I can't now play because I have pulled out of the game. The other issue is this, is that the game starts just after 7 o'clock. And the game's like a half an hour away. So I don't know how I was going to navigate that, right? Like, the show goes till 7. So I was probably going to have to get there, like, oh, obviously I was going to get there late. But, you know, then I'm going to be stretching out on the side, not having any warm-up shots. It might just be better in general that I'm not playing. So, because I would have gotten there probably at the end of the first half. And that's that's tough to navigate. You don't really get to warm up, but I want to test it out, and I don't get to shoot. So I wanted to play. I would have done it, but it might be better that I'm not. We're going to get to Buster Olney here in a couple of minutes. I want to get to some Red Sox news and notes that's actually pretty pretty big here. Free agency officially started an hour and ten minutes ago at 5 o'clock. The Red Sox have declined to issue a qualifying offer to Michael Waka. They have issued a qualifying offer to Nathan Evaldi. If you don't know what the qualifying offer is, it is simply this. When you have a player who has reached the end of their initial rookie contract, or rather just when you have a player that's headed to free agency, right? Doesn't matter how old they are. We have a player that's headed to free agency. You can offer them a qualifying offer, and a qualifying offer is a one-year guaranteed contract. And it's like the franchise tag. It's worth a decent amount of money. This year, the qualifying offer is $19.6 million. So if you offer a player a qualifying offer, you are offering them a one-year $19.6 million contract. And the player can turn it down and go to free agency because they want to get significantly more years and more money than that. The player can also accept because they're like, you know what? One year, 19 mil, that's not bad. If you offer a player a qualifying offer, then, and they decline, and then another team signs that player, you get a very good draft pick back as compensation. So that way you're not losing your player for nothing. So, the Red Sox did not offer Michael Waka a qualifying offer, so he is now just a free agent, and the Red Sox will not get a draft pick if he signs somewhere else. Nathan Evaldi, the Red Sox, did offer a qualifying offer to, so they have offered him a one-year, $19 million contract. He can accept, and I think there's a decent chance that he might accept it. Usually players turn these down, but I think there's a decent chance that Evaldi accepts it because he likes Boston. He's comfortable in Boston. He was hurt a lot of last year. So he's like, am I going to get $19 million a year on the open market? Like if Nathan Evaldi goes to the open market, what's he going to get? Three years and $45 million? Well, that's certainly it's more money, but it's less money per year. Does Evaldi say, you know what, no, I'll take the one for 19 and I'll hit free agency again next year and try to and have a good year and try to hit the big payday then? So I think there's a chance that Nathan Evaldi accepts this deal. So Waka didn't get one. 
Evaldi did. Now we wait to see. He's got, I think he's got 10 days or so to accept it or decline it. And then the Red Sox also said that they plan on using Garrett Whitlock as a starter in 2023. So the yo-yoing is over for Garrett Whitlock. And I think that's good for him, right? Like he, he gets to know where he stands. It's his contract is an incentive based contract. Like he gets more money for more innings thrown. So it's good for him financially to be a starter. But these decisions that the Red Sox have made today, they now change the course of your offseason. So now you're going into the offseason with Garrett Whitlock as a starter. And now you might be going in with Nathan Evaldi. We don't know yet, but Nathan Evaldi might be back. So now all of a sudden we've talked about the Red Sox needing all these pitchers. Well, now they need less. So I look at their offseason or I look at their rotation and they've got Chris Sale and Nick Pavetta and Garrett Whitlock and Brian Bale. I look at it now and say they have four starters. Now Sale is a question, but they have four starters, I think, penciled in. If Evaldi accepts, that would be five starters. They have James Paxton, they have Cutter Crawford, they have Josh Winkowski. They have all these kind of other guys that can at least start games. So I'm looking at it. I hope the Red Sox go out and still do what we need them to do. Because they've got a lot of bodies now in the starting rotation. I hope they still go out and do what needs to be done. They need a top flight starter who is close to a sure thing. They need a Carlos Rodon. They need a Justin Verlander. They need somebody like that. Chris Sale's supposed to be that guy. I have no faith that he is. So if he's out again this year, I need a Carlos Rodon. And God willing, Sale is healthy. Then I got two that are pretty good at the top of my rotation. And who's going to argue with that? They need a Kode Senga out of Japan who we talked about yesterday. I do not want this to be where the Red Sox say, well, Sale's there and Pavetta's there and Whitlock's there and Bayo's there and Paxton's there and Crawford's there and Winkowski's there. I don't want that. We can't be just running it back from last year's garbage. The Red Sox still need to go out and still need to be aggressive. I'm not a huge fan of bringing back Nathan Evaldi. I like him. I think he's good. But I would rather have, if it came down to Carlos Rodon or Nathan Evaldi, I'd rather have Rodon. If it came down to... Nathan Evaldi or Jacob DeGrom, I'd rather have Jacob DeGrom. So there are a lot of bodies right now for the Red Sox in the starting rotation. I hope they still go out and make the big moves because they need to make big moves. Interesting that they gave Evaldi the qualifying offer. I thought they might. I was not in favor of it. I wasn't sure they would. They ultimately did. Earlier today, I spoke with ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. I spoke with him a little bit before. Now that we're on the off season, you know, with TC and with Buster, you know, we're kind of they're doing their own thing. So there's going to be days where we're where we tape these in advance, right? It's just the way it is, right? Buster's in the off season. He's out doing things. He's he's settled in at home. He's no longer traveling. He's not on his same routine. Same for TC. So there's going to be some days where these interviews are taped in advance. Taped in advance. I talked with Buster earlier. I talked with him before the announcement came out about Waka and Evaldi. So that's why I didn't ask about him. But we talked a lot about the rest of the Red Sox offseason ahead. And I started out by asking Buster, Buster, are you happy it's the offseason? How ready for it are you? Uh, I'm not hitting it flying because I tested positive for COVID. Oh. So it hasn't been the... Uh... You know, hasn't been the, the the best launch ever into the into the off season. But you know what? 
it's fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm uh, I'm fine, and uh, we'll move ahead. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're doing okay, and wish you a uh, a fully speedy recovery. Let's talk about the World Series and put a bow officially on the 2022 season. Astros won it. I'm glad you are on Alvarez causes another fan base pain other than just my fan base in the Mariners land. And uh, you got a chance, I know, to catch up with Christian Vasquez. We talked a lot about last week, and that's our nice Red Sox link to this title. Yeah, he walks away with a World Series ring, and he walks away as part of history as, uh, you know, only the second catcher to catch a no-hitter in the World Series. And that was a combined no-hitter in Game 4. And so I talked to him, you know, before game five, and he was sitting in the visitor's clubhouse, and I you know, just walked up to him and I said, hey, are you going to keep any mementos from that game last night? And he mentioned that, you know, right after the game was the first that he had learned that he was the second catcher to catch a no-hitter in the World Series. He hadn't really, you know, seen uh, any of Yogi Berra, uh, that famous scene where Yogi Berra leaps in the arms of Don Larson. And so I pulled out my phone and I called up that video and he was watching that, and he was like, that's really cool. And he was <laughs> laughing out loud about Yogi Bear's excitement. And then I just mentioned to him, I said, hey, you ought to ask the Phillies if you can get home plate uh, you know, and bring that home. And so he was in the process to get that done. Um, a lot of joy in Christian Vasquez because, hmm. you know, as you know, when he got traded from the Red Sox to the Astros, there's a little bit of him that was brokenhearted. He didn't really play a lot with the Astros, and he gets to be part of that in the end, part of the championship parade, gets a ring, and maybe gets home plate from the no-hitter in the World Series. <laughs> What's the protocol from a pitcher's perspective in a combined no-hitter with how you treat the catcher? Like, I remember when Felix Hernandez threw his perfect game, he gave John Jaso the catcher a Rolex. Does the catcher get anything from all the pitchers in a combined World Series no-hitter? Does he get any love? That's a great question. You know, my instinct is, is that they don't really have something in place uh, you know, they're kind of, it's all new to them, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, that, that at 24 hours later when I'm talking to Christian, it was pretty clear that he hadn't put a lot of thought into it. He was sitting there, I think, doing a crossword puzzle, <laughs> and, and I, he said he was going to get a picture and he was going to get an autograph from all the other guys who were participated in that picture of them. Uh, but, I mean, that's the easy part, right? There's got to be more stuff as well. <laughs> I think he said, too, that the Hall of Fame had asked for his glove, uh, and he was in the process of trying to trying to sort that out. Now that the Astros won the World Series, maybe he's going to be more open-minded to that. <laughs> Plus, for only ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, you know, last year we were – kind of in a hyper state at the beginning of the offseason because we knew the lockout was coming. So we knew there was going to be some moves quickly. We knew some would drag on till after the lockout, but we knew some some deals were going to happen early to avoid, you know, to, to beat the lockout. What is your sense on the speed with which transactions will happen this year, considering it's a more normal offseason? It's not going to be as nutty, as crazy as it was, uh, leading up to the lockout, there's no doubt about that. <clears throat> There'll be more, uh, you know, more free agents marinating, uh, more free agents maybe making trips. You know, I'm curious to see about Aaron Judge. You know, to stoke his negotiations with the Yankees, will he be seen in San Francisco meeting with the Giants, for example? Um, there's just going to be more time, and we've seen, you know, with some agents like the Levinson brothers, they like to move fast. And then there are other agents like Scott Boris who like to take their time. 
Uh, and I think that dictates a lot of the pace of what we're going to see in most off-seasons and I think in this off-season. You know, I think by all accounts, Xander Bogarts is the fourth of the big four shortstops, right? There's Trey yep. Turner, there's Dansby Swanson, there's Carlos Correa, and there's Bogarts. When you are fourth of four, when you're Xander, do you want to sign early and just get it out of the way or do you want to sit around and wait for the market to be set and play this game of musical chairs? Well, some of it, as we saw, Xander's fully capable of dictating his negotiations. You know, that deal that he made with the Red Sox, the team-friendly deal, that was his contract. That was not his agent, Scott Boris, who did that deal. Um, he may have come in at the end and finished it, but, you know, Xander's taken control of his negotiations before. I think this time around, if Scott runs it, He's going to wait because, you know, he's going to wait to see what, uh, you know, his own client, Carlos Correa, gets. He's going to wait to see what Trey Turner gets. And Trey Turner's not his guy. Dansby Swanson's not his guy. Um, if, uh, I do believe this, if Xander's going to sign with the Red Sox, my guess is it would be early rather than late. Um, you know, that the, the, and I can't imagine the Red Sox given that they have so much to do this winter, are going to sit around and wait for Xander Bogarts and for Scott Boris to make a decision. You know, I played this game yesterday. I counted by virtue of guys that I think are good and by guys that are, you know, locked in because of their contract. I think I, I, think I can put in 18 of the 26 roster spots for the Red Sox basically being locked. Now there's questions about some of some of them like Chris Sale and James Paxton who are on the roster, but I've got 18 roster locks as we sit right now. That only leaves eight players for the Red Sox to go get this off season. They have to extract incredible value from those eight players, do they not? Because to your point, they do have so much to do. This isn't like they can bring in 20 new guys. I've only got eight spots. Well, and on top of that, it's not like those eight spots or eight role players at the back end of the, the lineup where you're, you know, you feel like you're set. You know, the, the fringy guys. These are main guys and the questions are around main guys. You know, at some point, it's not going to be enough for Hein Bloom to say, yeah, we really want that guy. Yeah, we love Xander Bogarts. Yeah, we love Raphael Devers. You got to pay somebody. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, they're going to have to step up. And, and make significant deals. And uh, it's, you know, we, we've talked about teams that are fascinating in this offseason. You know, the Mets have a lot of money to spend. They're going to pursue some big names. The Yankees with Aaron Judge. The Giants are going to be aggressive. Uh, but to me, the Red Sox are as fascinating as any team because of the, the pressure that now is on the front office to do something significant and with so much uh, you know, hanging over what's going on with Bogarts and what's going on with Devers. You know, as I sit right now, I would say the Red Sox rotation, again, this is very much in pencil, but we're talking about Chris Sale, Nick Pavetta, Brian Bayo, and then James Paxton is a possibility in there, and then we don't know exactly what they'll do with Garrett Whitlock. So they, they could put out five starters potentially with what they have now, but I think we all would agree they need to make multiple moves in the rotation. And Carlos Rodon is a guy that I want and a guy that I covet. What are you hearing about the Japanese import? I believe his name is Kode Senga. He's going to be 30 years old, so he's got 11 years in the NPB. I know his market is going to be robust. We've heard the Red Sox link to him. Do you think that is this a guy you're hearing buzz about? I am hearing buzz about him to the degree that I think there's going to be competition for him 
And what I have yet to see, uh, you know, since Heim took over, is will he be a guy who will go out and aggressively stick his elbows out and win a bidding? Um, you know, and that's – and by the way, you can run a great team and, and not always pay retail price. The Dodgers have demonstrated that. Sandra Friedman's been there. They don't pay sticker price. But if you want Carlos Rodon this winter – because he's one of the two or three best guys, you're going to have to pay sticker price. If you want Jacob deGrom, if you want, you know, a Justin Verlander, if you want, you know, the pitcher from Japan, you're going to have to compete with the Texas Rangers or maybe the Yankees. or the. Do- and the thing is, is that we just haven't seen Heim do that. It, it's more of, uh, you know, what we saw with Trevor Story last year where uh, the market comes back to him. And, you know, he winds up getting basically the fifth-best middle infielder in the market. And you know what? I I mean, there's something to be said for that. But if they're going to upgrade their rotation, they're going to have to win one of those – one of the bidding wars for one of the prime guys. And I just – there's no indication that they're prepared to do that. Are the Astros – bad for Red Sox fans. And what I mean is that the Astros are winning in the way that High and Blue wants to win. Now, I can't remember the last big free agent the Astros signed. The Astros have drafted. They have developed. They've international signees. They've gotten some retreads who they've made better. They've used their prospect capital to make trades. That's how High and Bloom wants to build. That's the role model. This is kind of the antithesis, though, of what you're saying you want. You're 100% right. You know, and the Astros now are so set up that they're, you know, nine years, ten years into this uh, system that basically Jeff Luno put in where they tank for a few years. They built up their depth. They, you know, developed a a culture of of, uh, helping pitchers get better, making major leaguers better. The Red Sox don't necessarily have that in place. They're years probably from having that Mm. in place. Uh, And the question is, you know, would the, the Red Sox fan base be patient and sit back and wait for all that to happen to get to where the Dodgers are? Um, and, and I just, I don't think there's any doubt about it. The answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of patience for that. Uh, and at some point, I, I think there's, you know, that they will, they, they're, they've been on a track to run the team in a certain way and to put themselves in a certain position you know, for how to develop within their organization. And I I think they're going to kind of, you know, blow it up is too strong of a phrase, but I think they're going to have to deviate from the plan to some degree uh, unless, you know, they get very lucky with a couple players here in the next year. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. What did you learn about baseball in 2022? That uh, it's not dead. Hmm. <laughs> that it can survive. You know, we were all concerned a year ago about the overall health of the sport, given the fact that we had this labor situation coming up. And if you remember, there were times during that when you wondered, you know, would the, the players and the owners uh, go to the mats and, and maybe, you know, put at risk the entire season? As it turned out, the answer was no. I think a lingering question remains over the sport can the leadership improve? Because I think as we sit here today, there are a lot of opportunities for the sport to grow. And I do think the pitch clock and the, the shaping of the, the product next year will be really good. But more leadership, more collaboration, more cooperation among all the parties at the top of the baseball food chain is 
badly needed, and I don't know if they'll get there. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider, was with us every week during the season, has a much-deserved offseason in front of him. Buster, we're going to continue to talk every single week, and we'll talk about baseball all through the offseason, but I do want to acknowledge your contributions to the show in season. It's been great. Fans and listeners have loved it. I've loved it. It's one of my favorite things we do every week. I look forward to talking again next week, and we'll get into the offseason and have some fun. And how about your Minnesota Vikings, by the way, It's 7-1? and one. Yeah, except I am like I'm like a Red Sox fan from the mid '80s, okay? <laughs> where I have so much PTSD about them losing that I'm looking at seven one and going, yeah, that that's a mirage. Like I'm not buying that, and, <laughs> and and I'll probably right right when I buy in is when they'll break my heart. And See, I just I'm just fully anticipate that. I'm telling you, as a Mariners fan, Buster, I know exactly how you're feeling because this year. I didn't enjoy this Mariners run as much as I should have because I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop, and that's one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> I'm telling you, enjoy it. 7-1 and one is 7-1. and one. Enjoy it. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I'll take your advice from someone much younger than me. <laughs> Buster, much appreciated. Hey, Patriots, Vikings, Thanksgiving night. So, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't get too much trip to fan that night so you can watch that game too. So we'll talk next week. That'll be fun. That'll be a blast. <laughs> Thank you, Buster. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. Buster only earlier today with me here on WDEV. A lot of good stuff there, stuff we're going to be reacting to over the next couple of days and in the next week before we start getting ready for another Patriots game next week. Buster is just awesome, right? And, and I say this every once in a while, but it bears repeating. I, and I want you to know this. Buster only joins us every week for free. And... I think that's really important for the audience to know because that's not the way that this business usually works. And Buster joined us every week of the season. Buster's been joining us every week since last September, like for like a year and a half now almost, or a year and two months, I should say. He's joined us every week, and maybe he's missed one because of travel or something like that. But Buster always finds time for this show and for his home state. And that is incredibly rare. And I like to just remind people that that is the case. People who go on stations repeatedly, they like to be paid. That is the way this business works. I have had people on in my career, right? I tell this story once a year probably. When I first started and I was in Albany, Adam Schefter came on our station every week. Every Wednesday, Adam Schefter was on. And it was great. I talked to Adam Schefter multiple times at the beginning of my career. And that was incredible for me. And it was great for our listeners. Adam Schefter got paid $275 a week by our station to come on for 15 minutes. $275 a week. And that's great money if you can get it. But we, we this station, most stations, can't pay $275 a week. Buster only comes on for free. I, I asked somebody a long time ago if they would come on a show I was on every week, and he said, sure, $300 a week. And I said, I can't, <laughs> no, I can't do that. Buster's on with us for free. Bob Sosi, the Patriots broadcaster, comes on with us for free. Phil Perry, our Pats insider from NBC Sports Boston, comes on with us for free. That's part of the reason I love this show, and it's part of the reason I love our insiders, because they are in it, they are in it for you. Right. They, yes, they want to get their own workout. They want to, 
expand their own brand, and they should. But they're in it for, they like me, and they like what we do here. And I think that's really, really cool. Buster only is going to be with us next week. I told him, like, if he needs a week off in the offseason, let me know. We can grant that. But he comes on every week. He, he never misses it, no matter where he is, no matter where he's traveling to. He finds time for us, and I think that that is uh, really, really awesome. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. UVM men's basketball taking on St. Mary's tonight. We'll give you the keys to the game. There's a bunch of them. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. This is going to be a shorter segment because we've got your NFL team in three words or less, AFC style. Excuse me. Coming up in about ten minutes. That's the one problem of not having a co-host on this show. If you have a co-host, I can throw it to him so I can sneeze for a second. But when you're by yourself, sometimes it just happens. My mistake, everybody. Uh, yeah, so your NFL team, three words or less, AFC style, is going to come in about 10 minutes. Right now, I want to get to UVM men's hoops. Catamount's taking on St. Mary's tonight out in California. St. Mary's, a team that was picked second in their preseason poll in the West Coast Conference. They were receiving votes. in the. They were number three in the mid-major top 25. They're receiving votes in the March Madness poll in the uh, NCAA top 25. So it's going to be a good test. They're favored by seven and a half. I think UVM can play with this team. Again, I'm not guaranteeing a victory. I'm not making a prediction that UVM is going to win. St. Mary should win. But I think UVM can absolutely play with them. And if they want to play with them and if they want to pull the upset, there are, in my mind, three things they need to do. Okay, Three keys to this game. One, you've heard me say this before, their stars need to play like stars. When you're talking about an upset, that is a prerequisite. That is non-negotiable. I said this very same thing last year when they played Arkansas in the NCAA tournament. If you are going to win a game like this against a tournament-caliber team on their floor, your stars, they cannot have off nights. Your stars need to play like stars. That is a requirement. We are hoping that their stars struggle and you have to guarantee that your stars don't. That is how you pull an upset. That is one of the ways you pull an upset. Aaron Deloney needs to score. And they're going to be keying on him. And they're going to be coming after him. And they're going to know who he is. He's got to score. Does he need to get 32 like he did in the opener? No. But he can't get six. He can't get nine. He needs to be in that 14 to 20 range, bare minimum. Right? Bare minimum, he needs to be 14 to 20. Dylan Penn needs to look a lot more comfortable than he did on night one against Brown. He was rusty. I completely understand. But he had 27 points against this same St. Mary's team last year when he was playing at Bellarmine. They'll know who he is. They'll know where he is on the floor. They'll know what he can do. He also, like Deloney, needs to be in that 14 to 20 point range. I always, always talk about depth. I always talk about guys having to be able to contribute. But this one tonight, this is a game for stars. And UVM stars have to play like stars. Deloney needs to score. Penn needs to score. Finn Sullivan needs to score. 
Other guys got to score too, but those three have to do the heavy lifting. The big three, they probably all need to be, they all need to be 14 to 20 point scores. Right? Like Finn Sullivan, Dylan Penn, and, and Aaron Deloney need to probably get, they need to get between 50 and 60 between them. If UVM wants to win this game. Okay? A bunch of eight point performances from your stars is not going to work. Number two, key to the game. UVM needs to run. And there's always a risk when you try to run with a, with a bigger conference team. UVM needs to run. One of St. Mary's best players is six foot ten. I want to, you're not going to win a battle where you're playing post up ball with him. That's not going to happen. UVM doesn't have the big men to compete with six ten down low. And frankly, they don't have the bodies to defend six ten down low. So I want to get out in transition as much as possible. I want to get him out of the way when we're on offense, and I want to tire his backside out for when they're on offense. UVM is very capable of playing a four-guard lineup. They're very capable of playing a of, of playing a fast transition lane lineup. Use the athleticism that you have to your advantage. I do not want this six ten beast getting a chance to establish himself down low. So take the chance, run. UVM's going to shoot a lot of threes in this game. They're going to try to get to the bucket in transition. They did it against Arkansas. They did it against Florida State a couple of years ago in the tournament. This is how they play when they play teams that are bigger or when teams that have a big guy. And finally, UVM needs to stay out of foul trouble. Another prerequisite when you're talking about pulling an upset. St. Mary's hit 20 free throws in their opener. They got to the line 28 times. You cannot give that amount of freebies to good teams. Do a good job at playing good defense, and you have to get the rebound quickly. Because where foul problems happen is you give up second, third, and fourth chances, and eventually you're way on your heels and you start hacking people. That's what happened against Middlebury in that final exhibition game. You can't have that. Limit St. Mary's to one shot. If you do that, you're generally good at staying out of foul trouble. You cannot afford to send your starters to the bench because you couldn't rebound. Right? Robin Duncan needs to be on the floor to get boards. Finn Sullivan needs to be on the floor to get boards. Nick Fiorillo needs to be on the floor to get boards. You gotta get contributions from everybody who touches the floor, but you gotta be able to get your starters and get your best guys on the floor as much as possible. That's the keys. Stars play like stars, run and get in transition and stay out of foul trouble and by extension, be a decent rebounding team tonight. I think UVM has a chance. I, I If they came in tomorrow, or if we came in tomorrow talking about a UVM win, I would be surprised, but I would not be blown away. I'll be watching this game. Tip-off is 10 o'clock. Your NFL team, three words or less, AFC style. What am I going to say about the Patriots? You'll find out next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Two hours of great jazz. And then 
Eye on the World with John Batchelor. But right now, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Your NFL team in three words or less, AFC style. We start in the AFC South, by far my least favorite division in the NFL. This division to me is so incredibly boring and so incredibly dysfunctional. I kind of wish we just could contract it and not have to talk about it, but nonetheless, here we go. Five and three Tennessee Titans, they're in first place. Three words or less, Ryan Tannehill's ankle. Like my ankle, Ryan Tannehill's ankle is messed up, and they need it to get better. Because, look, while Malik Willis might end up being a good quarterback, right now he is not what this team needs. The, the Titans, what, completed five passes last week against the Chiefs? They need, look, they're always going to be Derrick Henry dependent. But they need another dimension. And Ryan Tannehill at least gives them the threat of passing the football. They're in first place. They might win the division by virtue of uh, eliminate process of elimination. But they want to win playoff games and over, you know, atone for what they did last year, bowing out in their first game, which was ridiculous against Cincinnati. They're going to have to have some semblance of a passing game. Tannehill is the guy that can give it to them. Indianapolis Colts, second place laughing stock. That, that's what the Colts are right now. I'm rooting for Jeff Saturday. I can envision a scenario where it works, but I can also envision a scenario where they go 0-8 or 1-7 and pack it in. I mean, Sam Ellinger is bad. Jim Irsay is cringeworthy. Jeff Saturday has been put in a really hard position. I saw them in person. They looked horrific against the Patriots on Sunday. They've got a guy named Parks Frazier who's never called plays, calling plays for the rest of the season. It could, could, it, could they catch lightning in a bottle? Sure. But could it get really, really ugly? Absolutely. Jacksonville, good luck. That's why three words or less. Good luck. They're three and six. They're in Kansas City taking on the Chiefs next week, this weekend. We're going to have that game for you on DEV with no Patriots game. Our coverage is going to begin at noon. The Jaguars have some pieces, right? Travis Etienne, uh, Etienne has been great since becoming the full-time running back. I mean, he leads the NFL in, in rushing yards since becoming the full-time running back. He's on his way to stardom. They have some pieces in Jacksonville. They're outclassed in this one against Kansas City. The Chiefs are good at defending the run. That's what the Jags do best. This one doesn't seem like it's going to be particularly close. Number four, last place, Houston Texans. Three words or less, upset special possibility. They're taking on the New York Giants, and I think the Texans can win this game. Look, the Texans gave the Eagles all they could handle last Thursday. Now, the Giants are coming off a bye. The Giants have more time to prepare, have more time to get healthy, to fix what they did wrong against Seattle. So I get it. The Giants are favored and should be. Houston Texans, upset special possibility, though. Damian, uh, Pierce, the running back there, is very, very good. They, they've got a chance. And with Brandon Cooks, if he plays, they, they just keep it under your hat. The Texans have a chance in this one. AFC North, Baltimore Ravens gaining some traction. They're 6-3, and three, they're in first place, and people are starting to talk about them as a possible Super Bowl champion, or as a possible Super Bowl caliber team. We love Lamar Jackson, we love Mark Andrews, they got so, you know they go get Roquan Smith, they've got a Super Bowl winning head coach in John Harbaugh, take stock of the Ravens, buy it now. AFC North, Joe Mixon show, that's the Cincinnati Bengals. 
Joe Mixon had five touchdowns last week. We wondered, could the Bengals accumulate offense without Jamar Chase? They can, and they did. Yes, it was against Carolina. Yes, Carolina's awful, but they're 5-4. and four. They're only a game behind right now. Well, really two because of the tiebreaker with Baltimore. But they were able to move the football and score without Jamar Chase. That's a good first step. Cleveland, get ready defense. Okay, the Cleveland Browns are going to be a tough matchup. They're, they're in for a tough sled in this one this week. All right, we look at the Browns. They're taking on the Dolphins on South Beach. The Dolphins have been excellent this year offensively. The Browns defensively have not. The Browns have done some nice things with Nick Chubb, and they've even done some nice things with Jacoby Brissett. But defensively, it's not been great right now. They've allowed 25 points per game. That's ninth most in the NFL. The Dolphins are moving and scoring at will. Going to be tough. Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett's development. That's that's all this is about. It's not about Mike Tomlin. It's not about Minka Fitzpatrick. It's not about T.J. Watt, who's coming back this week, I think. This is about Kenny Pickett, and that is all. The Steelers are bad. Watt will help. Kenny Pickett is the only thing that matters. AFC East, Buffalo Bills, three words or less. Top seed chances, dot, 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 or maybe top seed slipping. You miss Josh Allen for a week, you start getting out of the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas City Chiefs with a chance to pass you. The Bills need home field, right? They want it on their field. They don't want to see Patrick Mahomes on his turf in the playoffs. You got it. They, they want to close out the one seed. If they don't have Josh Allen, they're not going to be able to do that potentially. New York Jets, huge bounce back performance. The Jets were awful two weeks ago against the Patriots. They beat the Buffalo Bills, who I think is the best team in the NFL when they're fully healthy last week. An immense amount of credit for Zach Wilson, for Robert Sala, for that defense. They did they did enough right against the Bills to win. That's one of the best wins of the NFL season. The Jets right now are at 6-3. and three. That is a great win for them. They're, they are in play now in the division of the AFC East and certainly in the AFC playoff picture. Miami Dolphins, three words or less, process paying off. What have I said? When you have a rookie quarterback contract, build around them. And guess what the Dolphins are doing? They're building around them. Tua Tagovailoa has Jalen Waddell, has Tyreek Hill. Who Tyreek Hill has more receiving yards than some teams do. That's right. Individually, he has more receiving yards than some teams do. Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, now Bradley Chubb. This is a team, I don't know if they're going to win the Super Bowl, but they are a team doing the process correctly, and I wish the Patriots would follow. On the Patriots, three words or less, is Mac bad? It's the question, and we don't know the answer, right? The Dolphins are doing the process right. They are removing all the variables, right? They're giving Tua everything. They're giving Tua everything, and if he can't handle it, then he's just not the guy. Patriots, they're not giving Mac Jones everything. So, therefore, we still don't know. So, it's going to remain a question. Is Mac bad? Finally, AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs, given a gift. Buffalo has beaten Kansas City. Buffalo has the tiebreaker. Josh Allen being out, that's a gift because now you have a chance to take over first place in the AFC and get towards home field advantage on your turf again. Chargers, all on Eckler. The Chargers are so incredibly banged up. They've got a tough matchup 
coming up this weekend as well. The Chargers, I look at the schedule, and they're taking on the 49ers in San Francisco. This game's all about Austin Eckler for that, right? Keenan Allen's probably not going to play. Mike Evans or Mike uh, Williams probably not going to play. Austin Eckler leads the NFL in touchdowns with 10. It's all on him. Denver Broncos stopping King Henry. Broncos showed some life their last game in London, right? Russell Wilson showed some life late in that game. Broncos are trying to mount a comeback on this season. They're going to take on the Titans, who we know are limited at quarterback, either by virtue of Malik Willis playing or a banged-up Ryan Tannehill. It's all going to come down to stopping Derrick Henry. He's he's the best running back in the league. And by the way, they're 21st in the NFL in rush yards allowed per game and rushing yards per play. So Denver can't stop the run all that great. They're going to have to if they want to beat Tennessee. And finally, Las Vegas Raiders. Three words or less. Could be it. If they lose this game to the Indianapolis Colts with all that's gone on with them, I expect Josh McDaniels will be fired. I don't think that that would be fair, but an impulsive owner, an impulsive organization, if they lose to this Colts team with all the stuff going on around them, I think Josh McDaniels is going to get fired. They blew a 17-point lead against Jacksonville last week. That was inexcusable. They got shut out by the Saints the week before that. That was inexcusable, too. If they get beat by the woeful Colts, I think Mark Davis is going to make a move. That's it. Three words or less, AFC style. UVM basketball coming up tonight at St. Mary's, California, 10 o'clock tonight. I'll be up late watching. Hope you are as well, and hope we're talking about a catamount victory tomorrow. Go find the podcast, everybody. Jazz with George Thomas is next.